This episode of The Outside Podcast is brought to you by Toyota, a company that wants to help you find joy by exploring America's scenic byways. It's really important to me to show the kids different parts of the country and different parts of the world. So I'm trying to get out on as many road trips as I can with the family and build confidence through adventuring. This is professional mountain biker Eric Porter. Recently, Eric and his wife Megan took their sons Owen and Milo on a road trip along Michigan's celebrated M22 highway in a Toyota Highlander XSE. We spent a lot of time traveling around the west coast of the U.S., and I really wanted to show the kids a different part of the country. The cool part about being here is we're on the 45th parallel, which means we're halfway in between the equator and the North Pole. The route hugs the eastern shore of Lake Michigan, and it also skirts a number of smaller waterways, giving road trippers access to numerous sandy beaches. Yeah. I used to come here when I was a kid. Really? Yeah, there's so much fun stuff. Oh, there's the dunes, Sleeping Bear's Sand Dunes, right up here. That's not too far. Should I put it in sport mode? Yes. Sport mode! With a sport-tuned suspension, the Toyota Highlander XSE offers confident, fun handling on pavement. And when you're rolling on gravel, its available dynamic torque vectoring all-wheel drive improves responsiveness and stability. The road's going to take us along the water right there, so we should have some awesome views. I'm excited to go paddleboarding because we haven't done that this summer. Whether you're cruising along the shores of Lake Michigan on a family road trip or heading out on a very different kind of adventure, there's a Toyota designed to get you there. When we're at home, it's easy to fall into the routine of school and work, but when we get out on the road, we can leave all that stuff behind and reconnect with each other and with the outdoors. Find the right Toyota to help you find joy on America's scenic byways at toyota.com. From Outside Magazine, this is the Outside Podcast. You know how it seems like everyone got a dog in the last year and a half? Well, that's because they did. According to a survey this spring by the ASCPA, some 23 million American households acquired a pet during the COVID-19 crisis. All those sweet and cuddly pandemic puppies made us happy, and we really needed that. But you know what else makes us happy? Looking at sweet and cuddly puppies on our screens. Today, my colleague Marin Larson tells us a story that helps us understand why this is the case. And get ready. If you believe that cats are the rulers of the internet, this piece might just change your mind. <laughs> That is the sound of Harry, one of 21 Huskies who comprise the Braver Mountain Sled Dog Team, run by musher and outside contributing editor Blair Braverman and her husband Quince Mountain. The couple lives on a farm in rural northern Wisconsin, where they share countless chores, and Blair trains with their dogs while managing a freelance writing career. Somehow, she also finds the time to post about their dogs on Twitter. Blair has close to 124,000 followers, a fact that she used to find surprising, but that she's come to embrace. In November, she and Quince are releasing a new photo book that is loaded with images of their internet-famous pups. It's called Dogs on the Trail, A Year in the Life. When Outside asked her why so many people want to keep up with her and her 21 best friends, 
Her first answer was that most people's knowledge of sled dogs doesn't go beyond what they've seen in movies or read about in books. Mushing is so exotic to people, it's something they've never had a chance to encounter for the most part. So like the really basic things we'd done that day, like, oh, we sized all the dogs for booties or harnesses or something, like became an interesting story because it was a chance for people to glimpse a world that is typically pretty isolated. And over the years, it really, it really took off. And the community that formed around the team, like, blows my mind all the time. Scroll through Blair's Twitter feed, and you'll find posts where Blair breaks down a sled dog race like a sports center analyst, introducing followers to her starting lineup. Brutus, flaming on ya. How are you doing? Teddy's right here. Hey, Teddy. Yeah, you're kind of a jerk. And then we got Colbert, always so happy, always happy. And guiding them through moments like this one, during a 200-mile race from Dawson City in the Yukon to Eagle, Alaska, when Blair's lead dog Pepe had to work to find a route through a large, slippery expanse of glacier ice. Look at her, she got it. She got onto the scratched-up ice. Other times, she'll post about a Gatorade bacon ice stick recipe that Quince came up with for the dogs, or publish a long Twitter chain in which she'll break down myths and misconceptions about mushing, like one in which she explained what makes a good lead dog. But what really sucks us in is the unbounded enthusiasm her dogs have for life, whether splashing in a pond during the off-season, Are you guys splashing around? or doing what they do best, pulling a human in a sled over very long distances. Sled dogs want to run with the same obsessive passion that retrievers want to chase tennis balls. Like, it is in their blood, and they are there standing next to you, like, ready to go, and you're like, didn't you chase this tennis ball 500 times today? And they're like, yes, it's just as good every time. Let's do it again. And so that is the energy you have to imagine with a dog team. Like, that's why it's addictive is because you are with these dogs who are in that state of mind where they're just like, throw the tennis ball again, throw the tennis. Oh, my gosh, we just get to keep chasing the tennis ball forever. They're just like in their element. Here's the thing, though. It's not just dogs with extreme lives that grab our attention online. It's all of them. When we reached Blair to talk about this, she insisted that we include her internet friend, Jen Goldbeck, a dedicated ultra runner and a fellow owner of social media famous dogs. Hi, would you like some breakfast with some green beans? Good job. Where are you going? Come back here. Under the handle, the golden ratio four, Jen and her husband, Ingo Burghardt, post daily videos of themselves feeding, playing with, and snoozing with their six golden retrievers. They now have hundreds of thousands of followers across social media platforms, but the experiences they share are the complete opposite of what Blair and Quince are doing in Wisconsin. Jen and Ingo live in the warm Florida Keys, and instead of working with athletic powerhouses at the peak of their abilities, they take in senior or sickly dogs near the end of their lives. We rescue golden retrievers and we tend to rescue broken ones. So that could be hospice cases, really old dogs that people don't want to take care of anymore, complicated medical cases. They invite followers to see the end-of-life care they give their pups, which surprisingly can be just as absorbing as watching sled dogs. I think knowing that 
either because they're old or because they're really sick, we don't have a lot of time. We, we focus so hard on giving them everything they need as they need it and, and really optimizing because time is short with them. So we had one who had been found in the woods and he had all kinds of problems and he wouldn't really eat, but he was absolutely emaciated. So we're like, what can we get this dog to eat? And it turns out he really liked junk food. So we would go to Burger King and buy 11 cheeseburgers and that would last us about a day and a half. They must've thought we were crazy. Just every day going through the drive-thru. That dog loved cheeseburgers and, and that's what we gave him until we could kind of get him eating some more nutritious food. He kind of started a downturn and then it was like, okay, well, French fries every day. And we were just making French fries because what's going to happen, right? You may as well fit in that joy that you can when you have them. Jen is a professor of information studies at the University of Maryland, where her research includes studies of social media. So together, she and Blair might really be the perfect people to explain why dogs bring us so much happiness, both IRL and on the internet. But to understand how Jen and Blair got so good at sharing the joy of dogs with others, you need to understand how they fell in love with dogs themselves. Jen grew up with golden retrievers, but one had a particularly big impact on her during a difficult time in her life. I think middle school is hard for most people, and it was really hard for me. Um, I mean, I, I did not fit in. I was bullied pretty badly, and I was very depressed and didn't really have an outlet for it and didn't talk to anybody about it. But obviously, like, I must have been a terror to live with as like a 13-year-old. And my parents clearly picked up on what was going on. And we had always had one dog up until that point, And they came home with another dog, Major, who I call my suicide prevention dog, because I think that's kind of why they got him. They're like, she's so upset. Like, what can we do to make her happy? And, you know, I don't think therapy was an option that they thought about, but Golden Retriever probably was. And, and he was perfect for that. He really gave me this space that as a 13-year-old, I didn't have anywhere else where, like, he didn't judge me. I could be as like crazy, silly, goofy, dance around, sing songs with him. And he just thought I was the best thing ever. And like, it sounds kind of cheesy, but he created for me this space where all those anxieties that filled up every other part of my life were just gone. He showed me the really kind of therapeutic role that they can play at allowing you to have joy in your life, even when other things are bad. As it happens, Blair also grew up with a golden retriever. So family lore is that my first word was our dog's name, Gilly. And she was a rescue golden retriever. And I'm an only child. I was just always with this dog. And I loved her completely. You know, I think I was trying to do like mushing related things with her and with, you know, our later dogs when she got old. Even at the time, like I'd go rollerblading and tie myself to her and like have all these disasters and at the time, you know, growing up in California, I really wanted to go somewhere north. My family lived in Norway a little bit when I was a kid and I loved it. And so I just like, I had this dream that I was going to go somewhere polar. And then I love dogs. And I was like, wait, you can like do these things at the same time. Like you can be in wilderness with dogs and like travel through wilderness with dogs. Like it blew my mind and I had no idea how I was going to get there. But that became a big dream to just figure out how I was going to dog sled. It didn't take her long to figure it out. When I was 18, when I graduated high school, I ended up going to a uh, folk school, which is a non-academic sort of socialist boarding school in Scandinavia. And I went to a folk school for dog sledding. 
it was like 40 kids in the Arctic. And I remember the first time I stood on a dog sled or it was a cart, you know, cause there wasn't snow yet. It was early in the academic year. And uh, there was a sheep in the road up ahead and the dogs were trying to chase the sheep and the brakes weren't working. And like somehow, even in spite of all the terror, I was like, everything is right right now. Like this, the dogs are pulling me and it's like everything I've been looking for and I'm completely high on it and I want to spend the next rest of my life doing it. And it was just like a very, very strong reaction. I was so scared and so just absolutely thrilled at the same time. As she wrote in her 2016 memoir, Welcome to the Goddamn Ice Cube, Blair spent summers guiding sled dog tours on a glacier in Alaska through college and returned to Norway after she graduated. Jen, on the other hand, had endured her college years without a dog, which she found excruciating. Literally, when I was graduating from undergrad, I was like, okay, like now I am going to get an apartment, move out of the dorms, I'm going to get my first dog. And I got her before I technically graduated. So I kind of had to smuggle her in, in my backpack, like this little eight week old golden retriever and hope nobody saw her for a couple of weeks. And that was my dog pie, like the number. And she was kind of my starter dog as an adult. Shortly after college, she got another dog, Kay. And when Kay and Pi died of old age, just a year apart, 12 years later, she thought maybe she should take a little time without a pup. But that idea didn't last long. Literally, I was leaving the vet's office after putting the second one down, and I was like, oh my god, like, I can't even imagine going home and not having a dog there. She came up with another plan. She started fostering golden retrievers for weeks or months at a time before a permanent home was found for them. But she kept falling for the dogs, especially the ones with health issues, like Venkman. She is just the weirdest, like, <laughs> lemon of a dog. She had, I think, three orthopedic surgeries before she was a year old. I don't, still doesn't really know her name, even though she's seven. But it's just like the happiest ray of sunshine. Pretty soon, they had four dogs. And as the rescue groups realized just how good they were at caring for the pups who had health issues or who were nearing the end of their lives, they kept calling with more cases. Today, Jen and Ingo have as many as six dogs living with them at a time, most of whom are seniors or sick or injured. We're kind of one of a few go-to households for those really complicated fosters that you know people give up, usually because they just don't want to take care of them anymore. Uh, we take them in. It's, you know, it's amazing every day to see what good we can do in their lives with a little bit of love and care. She's had to get creative to fit it all into her busy life as a professor and ultra runner. I don't run quite as far as Blair's dogs, but almost sometimes. Uh, <laughs> I spend a couple hours of my day running most of the time. And then we have these dogs who all need a lot of individual attention in their own ways. I will run with the dogs who are capable of running. I cannot run with all of them at once, obviously, but I'll take them out for turns. So one dog can run a mile and a half and we'll go and then come back home, drop them off, and I'll take another dog out for two miles and uh, save the old and slow ones for the end where we'll do like a cool down, walk down the block and back. And uh, depending on which dogs we have at the time, I can get in somewhere from like five to eight miles that way, which is a super fun workout. And the neighbors are like, didn't I just see you with a dog? And I was like, different dog. I'm going to keep coming past here. Meanwhile, Blair's path to running a sled dog team with her husband, Quince, started slowly and then leapt forward overnight. They met in grad school and later settled on his farm in Wisconsin, where they owned several dogs. Blair was occasionally able to train with sled dogs belonging to a nearby musher, 
And then she and Quince got really lucky. Another musher was getting out of the sport. And he said, would you, would you want to take over my entire team? And it was a great, great honor. He helped us get set up. And, and the whole team included, you know, the seniors and the young dogs. And, um, you know, and that's, that's the basis for the team we have now. So it was really like jumping in the deep end. We had six dogs before that, which was plenty. And then all of a sudden we had 21 and our lives just were upside down. It was a big adjustment for them. Like, really, really big. I mean, frankly, it is like staggering how much work it is to have a dog team and to uh, to have, you know, this many dogs and be caring for them and also to like maintain the equipment and the navigation and the wilderness stuff of, of mushing. For Quince and Blair, the only way to handle it all is to divide and conquer. So he is always fixing equipment and figuring out trails and he's running the dogs and, you know, I might be like writing or on a deadline and then I'll go out and, you know, and we're back and forth. Like we're always negotiating together what needs to be done today, like who has other work they need to do. It, I, it wouldn't be possible without two people doing it full time. So Blair and Jen were both caring for large numbers of dogs with their husbands, but for very different reasons and in very different places. And then, around the same time, in the midst of the brutal 2016 election, they both started sharing their lives with their dogs on social media, which turned out to be a way bigger deal than either of them could have ever imagined. That's coming up after the break. At the top of the episode, we heard from professional mountain biker Eric Porter and his family about their road trip along Michigan's M22 Scenic Byway in a Toyota Highlander XSE. It's pretty cool driving down this road and just pulling up on the beach, blowing up the paddle boards and going out, huh? Yeah, Yeah. that's a lot of fun. The family of four had plenty of space in the Highlander XSE, which has plush seating for seven and abundant storage space for gear. And then we just drove a little bit further, and now we're riding mountain bikes. Should we go find some jumps? Yeah, I think we should. Let's do it. Just off the byway, the porters found miles of forested trails and all the jumps they could want. When it comes down to it, we just want to spend basically all our time outdoors and try to pack in the most amount of adventure we can. Traveling is one of the best ways to introduce your kids to the world. It shows them a different way of life from where we live and gives them some perspective. Find joy on your own journey along one of America's great scenic byways. No matter what kind of adventure you're after, there's a Toyota designed to get you there. Learn more at toyota.com. Wisconsin-based writer and sled dog musher Blair Braverman never set out to become a social media dog influencer, if that's even what you could call her. Blair just started doing what most of us do, posting images of the fun parts of her life. So I joined Twitter because I'm a writer. I was in grad school to hopefully be a professional writer. And everyone was like, this is where the journalists are. And I had, you know, a couple my first reported stories coming out. And I was like, well, I guess I need to like start a Twitter account and post them and felt very self-conscious about it. And I was trying very hard to be like a serious writer. And every day I was like writing and working and then leaving the house and mushing for a couple hours. And all I wanted to talk about was these sled dogs and like share stories about the sled dogs. Like gradually, just over a couple of years, it started creeping in. Like I'd be like, oh, this, this picture from today's run is so pretty. I'm going to post it on Twitter. And then 
you know, nobody would click on the articles I, I posted, but suddenly I'd have like 12 likes, which was more than I ever got. But eventually, like as I became more comfortable, I started just posting more pictures that made me happy from things I was doing with the dogs. And so what I started doing is I started writing Twitter threads, you know, which is a bunch of tweets connected together to sort of tell little stories. And I think the first one I, I posted was, you know, my husband is a beekeeper and something had gotten in and eaten his bees. And it seemed like a bear. There was bear poop near the beehive. But the beehive was in a garden where our retiree Harry lived, who is a sled dog who happens to be blind. And so like either Harry ate the bees or a bear ate them, hung out with Harry long enough to poop bees and then left. And it was just this mystery. And I, <laughs> so I think I like made a little thread being like, oh, was it Harry or the bear? I don't know. And um, everyone had theories and it was so fun. Like we were all like, oh, let's look at the poop. Like, what's this going to be? And so I started making more threads and telling stories about the dogs. And it became really fun if I had like some story from the day with the sled dogs. Because as you're writing each tweet, you can like gauge the energy of the people reading it. It's almost like being on stage and feeling the audience's energy. Computer science professor Jen Goldbeck began posting about the dogs she cared for at the end of 2016 as a way to create a positive space for herself online at a time when the internet felt like the place where people went to be nasty. After the 2016 election, as someone who studies bad stuff on social media and as an American, I was not in a happy place. Everybody online was very angry and all kinds of bad things were going on there. And then obviously the country, no matter which side you were on, was very angry at everybody else. I was like, I need a way to get away from this because it's everywhere. At that point, we had four dogs. So I was like, well, let's start a page and I'll post pictures of golden retrievers. Jen and Ingo launched the Golden Ratio on Twitter. They would later start posting on Snapchat, Instagram, and YouTube. It took off in a way that I didn't expect, I think, because a lot of people wanted a sort of wholesome place to just escape from everything at that point on social media. And so it became a way for me to do this project that didn't have anything to do with all the bad stuff I was dealing with in the rest of my life and to also kind of connect to my dogs in a a very mindful way. So we don't pose the dogs. We don't put them in costumes. We just try to capture moments in their life that we feel are, are beautiful and that people will find their own joy in and that they can, can see how these dogs are evolving and growing and connecting. And so that was a great thing. Now, I'm also an expert on social media. I have a PhD in that, right? So it's been a place to kind of play around in practice with the stuff that I study and teach classes on. Sharing moments from her dog's lives proved therapeutic for Jen, and it clearly provided followers of the Golden Ratio a great deal of comfort as well. People were especially taken by Maggie, a female that Jen often affectionately called Schmeg. Hi, Schmeg. Everything is okay. You are my Schmeg. And she was one of my heart dogs, like one of the two dogs in my life that I have connected to on this whole deeper level than every other dog that I have loved so beautifully. She, she was one who I just had this amazing special connection with. She's one who had been abandoned in the backyard when her owners moved. 
And she was kind of a nervous dog. She was really happy and affectionate, but she also would just have these moments of insecurity. And I would give her these little pep talks and I started putting them on the videos we make every day. I will be here for your whole life. I'll never go away. I will protect you. When you're stressed, I will give you hugs and put your thunder shirt on and snug it up with you. I'll give you all the pets you need. Nothing bad's ever going to happen. So we do what we call the daily snaps, and they're like five-minute videos with just little snippets of dogs eating food and waffles and stuff they do during the day. It's waffle time. You are my children, so it's our day. That means there will be a bonus waffle later. And everybody loved these pep talks. They're like, I just play these for myself. And I'm like, well, I kind of say them for myself. Like, this is what I want somebody to say to me. Uh, <laughs> and I think, like, that was the first thing that brought a lot of people to us because what they see with us, with the dogs, which is very much authentic, is that we've worked very hard to build our lives and our home as a place of gentleness and kindness and supportiveness for these dogs and then also obviously for the humans in our lives and each other. Yeah, I'll take care of you, Schmink. It's a really peaceful place and and I think people really respond to just seeing us be like so kind and accommodating and gentle with these dogs when a lot of people don't have it in their own lives. Hops, you don't really need daily affirmations, but just, you know, I'll protect you too. And I will try to tug it with you as much as possible. So we at some point got a letter from, like a written letter from one of our followers who said, my dad died and I couldn't get out of bed. I was so depressed. Everything was gone in my life. And I was basically planning to end my life. And what I decided to do is wait so I could watch your daily snap video the next day. And I didn't get out of bed, but I watched your video the next day. And when I finished that, I said, well, maybe I'll wait and I'll watch your video the next day. And I did that for a couple of weeks until I finally got out of bed again. And so thank you so much for these videos because they're the thing that let me have one thing to look forward to the next day that you know is just going to be like supportive and kind and peaceful and welcoming that's enough. That was enough. And that was so powerful to me. And we've had a number of letters like that since then where people who really are struggling and, and feel like they probably don't have a place to go can come to us. It, seeing how much it impacted people and brought that to them was a really profound thing for me that I didn't expect. Not surprisingly, Blair also saw a huge surge of followers in late 2016. A big reason for this, she believes, is that dogs provide the ultimate distraction in hard times. There is a lot going on in the world right now. And like dogs don't know about the stressful things going on in the world. Um, and dogs live in the moment. They live in their emotion. When they're, when they're relaxed, they're relaxed. When they're excited, they're excited. And so, you know, the more we're connecting with them, the more it sort of like reminds us for that instant that like we can just be in the moment too. As a prime example of this, Blair points to her seven-year-old husky, Colbert. He will go around eating the leftovers of every other dog in the team. Like, all he wants to do in his whole life is run and eat and run and eat. And, like, he is just, like, the fundamental sled dog. Like, when he is traveling or when he's in a race and his whole job is to, like, run, eat, sleep, eat, 
run eat like just like again and again and again day after day like this dog is in bliss he's just like radiating being in the right place he will just spend his life running and eating and it's just what he was put on earth to do and like i wish i feel like i like have some clarity but like imagine imagine being colbert just the joy the purity of that it would be incredible as you might guess there is fascinating science behind why watching happy dogs makes us so happy. Jen has been at the forefront of some of this research with studies conducted in her lab at the University of Maryland. We asked people to take a survey that measures their immediate well-being. So how happy and safe and content and understood do they feel? And then we'd send them off to look at other stuff for five minutes on Twitter. So some people got to look at pictures of dogs. Some people looked at just kind of like funny, popular posts. And then some people had to go read Trump's Twitter feed. This isn't like 2018. And then we had them come back to see how good do you feel right now? And so the people who read the funny posts, like they had a, a slight increase in how good they felt. And the people who looked at the dogs had a bigger increase. And then the people who looked at Trump's Twitter feed, we made them all feel worse. Uh, so, and, and that was actually true even if they were Trump supporters. So it kind of showed like, okay, what people see on social media impacts their mood. And, you know, from this study, it looks like dogs help. And we don't know exactly why, but there are studies, and and we're trying to do some of this research in my lab, that that show that even looking at pictures of dogs can have some of the same benefits as like being in a room with a dog. So we know if you just have a dog in the room, your blood pressure is lower, you can concentrate more, like kids do better on tests. There's just volumes of research on this. And, and so that probably works even with a picture of a dog to some degree, you know, not as much as having a real one, but it helps a little bit. And there's also fascinating research that I'm guessing probably has a role here that that shows that we share emotions with dogs like we do with people. So if you're having a bad day and you like walk into my office and I smile at you and I'm like, hey, and we like we make on co- eye contact and I'm like happy, you're going to pick up on that energy. And there's actual brain chemistry about how that works. We make eye contact, I smile, you have a kind of mirror response to that. When we look at dogs on social media, it's happy dogs, right? You don't see suffering dogs in those threads. You see happy dogs. And I think that there's, and this is my hypothesis, but I think that there's something at play that's picking up on that as well, that we're essentially seeing the happiness, the very pure happiness of these dogs and able to kind of experience that the same way as if we were seeing a person who's really happy or something, you know, really joyful in person. We can get a little bit of that through the screen and just that little bit can really help. For a lot of us, seeing a happy dog brings us a special kind of joy. That's true whether it's our own pup running after a stick or a video clip on Twitter of Blair's husky Colbert eating a pierogi or a TikTok of one of Jen's golden retrievers getting a pep talk. But every once in a while, there's a dog moment that stands out as being truly magical. This past March, when the country was experiencing some of the worst days of the pandemic, Jen had an experience with a dog that was deeply moving for her and her followers. So we got a dog that we named Manchego, who came in as a hospice case. He was in a a kind of rough spot. He couldn't stand up by himself and he couldn't walk very much. He could walk 10 or 15 steps and he was diabetic. He was blind. We live in the Florida Keys. Our house is elevated to 
protect it from flooding and hurricanes. So we have an elevator. We bought a cart the right size for the elevator. We'd wheel him out to the front yard so he could do his business. But at some point, we wanted him to be able to swim, but he can't see. But we live right on the water. You can walk from our backyard into the ocean, and it's beautiful water, especially for old dogs. It's like 85 degrees and calm and clear. And so at some point, we just decided we're taking him. So we wheeled his cart into the water, and I just picked him up out of the cart, and we just walked in until I was kind of kneeling on the bottom of the ground and in the water and holding him up so he could kind of float Right. So all that weight comes off of him. Obviously, he had really serious arthritis and and bad joints. That's why he couldn't stand up. So all the weight's gone and he can just kind of float there. I took him in around sunset and he was blind, but he turned his face to where the sun is going down. And so he just had this like lovely, like orange glow on his beautiful face and his like big eyes that like probably weren't seeing anything, but he loved it so much. And it was like such this lovely moment that you could tell all of this pain kind of drained out of him and he could just sit there in that warm water and relax. And that was a really beautiful moment for the short time that we got to have with him. Both Jen and Blair say that more than anything else, sharing the lives they live with their dogs has created a sense of community at a time when they and the rest of the world desperately need it. So one year we started doing something called trail mail, which we still do every year, uh, which is that anyone can send us their holiday cards you know, stamped and addressed and inside a bigger box. And we will carry their cards by dog sled for a couple miles. And then we will stamp the envelopes so they say carried by dog sled and we'll drop them off at the post office again. So it's like a little bit of magic. Like people are going to get their holiday cards and they were carried by dog sled on the journey. It got picked up in a newspaper somewhere and we got a letter in the trail mail that was to us. And it was a woman who sort of poured out her life story. And she said, um, you know, I live alone she was in New York City. And she said, I didn't know sled dogs were a real thing. So I feel like I must be writing to Santa Claus. And I don't have anyone else to write a holiday card to. I'm all alone. So I'm just going to write this letter to Santa Claus, because that must be who you are. And Santa Claus, here's what I want. I want some socks and say hi to all the dogs from me. Um, I wish I could be there myself. And so I shared, you know, I locked off identifying information and and shared her letter. And like everyone started writing this woman cards. People were knitting her socks. It was like every single thing from Santa Claus, people were getting together to make. And they sent everything to me and I put it in a box and mailed it to her. And we've gotten cards from her like multiple Christmases since then. It just, it was like such a beautiful moment. Like, they're so kind. Like, this is what we need more of in the world. You can follow Blair Braverman and her sled dogs on Twitter. She's at Blair Braverman. Blair in Quince Mountain's forthcoming photo book is Dogs on the Trail, A Year in the Life. It's coming out on November 16th. Pre-order it now wherever you like to buy your books. Jen Goldbeck and her husband Ingo Bernhardt share images, videos, and stories about their golden retrievers on Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, and TikTok. They're at the Golden Ratio 4. This episode was written and produced by Luke Whalen and narrated by Marin Larson. Editing by Marin and me, Michael Roberts. Music by Louis Weeks. This episode was brought to you by Toyota, a company that wants to help you find joy out on America's scenic byways. 
Learn more at toyota.com. The Outside Podcast is made possible by the support of our Outside Plus members. Learn more and join at outsideonline.com slash outside P-L-U-S. Outside Podcast listeners get 25% off an Outside Plus membership with the coupon code OUTSIDEPOD. That's OUTSIDEPOD, all lowercase.